Welcome everybody to Successful Options Trader of the Month for, I guess this would be for June technically, 2016. We have Seth Freudberg here who we have who we've chosen as Successful Trader of the Month. Uh, before we get going, let's just quickly go over our disclaimers here and let you know this presentation is for educational purposes only. We're not broker dealers or financial advisors and we're not making any specific trade recommendations. Also, please be aware that the risk of loss in trading options is substantial and um, make sure you're aware of all your risks prior to placing any trades. We may use, we may do some trade demonstrations during the webinar. Uh, if we do, assume they are hypothetical computer simulated trades unless otherwise noted. And uh, hypothetical trades are believed to be as accurately represented as possible. However, live results may vary. All right, well again, good afternoon everybody. And uh, welcome to our Successful Trader of the Month interview. Successful Trader of the Month is a program that Sherry and I have come up with to reward and honor those traders who have put forth the work and as a result are doing awesome with their trading or some other parts of their life. And they receive a prestigious lock in your success, Successful Options Trader hat, and a place forever on our wall of fame. Uh, <laughs> Successful Trader of the Month is also for you, the aspiring trader, because by having those successful traders share their experiences with you, you can gain useful insight and become inspired by knowing that it can be done. And there are many, many different paths in order to do so. A trader can qualify for Successful Trader of the Month in several ways. First would be to provide a trading plan in a recent trade that we can evaluate. Second would be to stand out by helping out in our community. This might be through sharing useful information or providing guidance or providing encouragement. Third might be uh, if we notice someone who breaks through, has a significant breakthrough uh, or breaks through a barrier in their life and overcomes a challenge. And fourth would be for creativeness. In other words, someone who successfully adapted their trading to their unique personality, whether it be through one of my styles, someone else's, or even better, something they maybe came up on their own. So today we're speaking with Seth Reutberg, and Seth was chosen because of the significant breakthroughs and remarkable progress he's made in his life and in his trading. He's transformed his trading and his career, propelled himself forward to become director of options trading for a company called SMB University, or SMB Training, in Manhattan, and he's also a head trader and manager of their prop trading desk and deals with millions of dollars in the options in option strategies. Um, it's a fantastic and inspirational story. So let's get to it. And good, uh, good afternoon, Seth. Hey, thank you, John. Appreciate it very, very much. The tables are turned. I'm, get, I'm being interviewed by you. Yeah, usually Seth. Uh, usually Seth is the head guy when uh, and he talks to me. So <laughs> we're leading <laughs> Seth on today. But, Not the head um, guy, just the, just the host. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's usually okay. Usually Seth is the host. He'll put it that way. So uh, you know, why don't you tell us about yourself? How you went from someone who didn't really know a whole lot about options at one point to managing a multi-million-dollar options prop desk and being the director of options trading at in uh, training at SMB University. Well, thank you, John, and hi everybody. You know, there's uh, I have to look at the attendee list, but I'm confident that uh, a bunch of us know each other, and uh, I see Sherry on, so I know her, and uh, I guess I'll have to look at the rest of the attendees, but I'm quite confident that many of us know each other, so welcome everyone, all my good friends, um, and uh, anyone who was out in Hawaii at the, um, uh, at the Trader Triangle event, you know, might have heard some of this, but, you know, maybe give you a little bit more uh, background and flavor and so forth. So, uh, John, I mean, I don't know how far back in time you want me to go. I mean, uh, my first memory is a human being. Or <laughs> well, when, I, when you when you were you were when you were born, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, just you know, you know, you you were. I know you were a mentor at Sheridan Mentoring for a while before yes. that. You were yeah. you were doing some insurance company stuff, right? So yeah, well, well, I think it's interesting to just say um, I was, uh, you know, I was 27 year. I'm 57 now, and. Um, my dad started this insurance company in 1960, uh, and <clears throat> he had actually been running insurance companies for 10 years before that. And uh, he uh, uh, he brought me into the company right after I got out of college in 1983, and um, I then, uh, I guess I was, what, 24? At 27, my dad wanted to retire, and the board of directors needed to find a replacement. So they decided to give me a shot under the theory that if I didn't work out, they they you know not, they just complete accept my father's retirement, 
fire me and you know find somebody else uh, and uh, what happened was it worked out you know well and um, my dad you know did a good job of training me and so the company uh, we were you know very successful really grew the company and uh, then in 2006 I decided I had the insurance industry had had enough of me and I had had enough of the insurance industry so um, I'd been involved in 22 years and I you know I really wanted to move on so I negotiated a retirement agreement with my company uh, and I, at that point I was 47 so I basically halfway through my what mo would be most people's careers I retired from one business well I'm not the kind of person that you know likes to sit around and so uh, go and goof off I feel very bad and unproductive when I'm doing that so I like to be productive and and off you know and give back to society and and contribute in some way so um, that year uh, I had a very very dear friend uh, Tony Benicasa who's still my very dear friend in fact I'm sitting in his office right now because I work out of the offices uh, that he and his brother own I rent some space from them and uh, he was involved he was into options trading uh, I had he had been involved actually at that point for over 20 he was one of the really early retail options traders he was trading options retail in the early 80s believe it or not so you know when the SIBO was really just kinda I guess getting geared up in the 70s and early 80s and he was um, I said you know I've always loved investing I've always loved in trading what is it exactly um, you know you do how do you how do you trade and so he came over one day, he showed me, you know, all these graphs and iron condor looking things and butterfly looking things. I had no idea, you know, what this was really all about. I knew what a call option was. I knew what a put option was. I had no idea why they made these funny shapes and rhinos and, you know, whatever. So I couldn't understand that. Then uh, I got on to uh, Sheridan. At that time, Tony was actually mentoring personally with Dan Sheridan. I don't realize, remember, uh, uh, John, but Dan actually was the original only mentor when he was with Option. Oh, I think when I started, I think he was the only mentor as well. He was the only mentor, and he was actually had this joint venture or whatever it was with going on with Option View. So right. um, Dan, uh, you know, I remember after that, this is how little I knew about options. This was, I guess, April 2006. And I went over to Tony's house. He put it on the speaker. He had his session with Dan. And at the end of the session, I just laughed. And Tony said, what's so funny? And I said, I, I, I feel like I'm an experienced guy. I've been an executive. I've been a CEO of a publicly traded company you know, for a number of years. I think I'm fairly sophisticated in financial matters. You guys just talked for one hour, and I could not understand one word you were saying. And that was, <laughs> I really didn't understand what the heck they were talking about. And so yeah, the Greeks and Delta and Vega, you know, if you, if you heard these words for the first time, you know, you really have no idea what they're talking about. And so um, I said, it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like it's going to be a challenge. I have no idea what you're talking about, but let's give it a shot. And so I took the course, um, and I remember I, I was and, – and it, it's funny, actually, John. I mean, I don't know how far afield you want to go here today, but I think it's – it's just so many things I learned in that process. You know, I, I, I mentored. I'll, I'll fast forward to that in a minute. But I mentored. And um, I have noticed there are like three or four categories of mentees that you can work with. I always thought everybody was like me. And then when I started mentoring, I realized that everybody was not like me. Um, and, you know, maybe this is a clue for people as far as, you know, how to make progress and things. Because I was so avid. I was so into it. Um, I loved it, first of all, right away. I think that's a key thing. I loved options trading. I still do. The second thing was I was so eager to learn. It was, you know, because basically I was creating a new career for myself. So I had, in a sense, I had to make this work, right? So, um I, uh, so, but it, that really wasn't so much what was driving me as just the absolute fascination that I had with it. And so, I would, I, I would, you know, have my sessions with Dan, 
And the night before, I'd sit down and I'd write up every question I came up with from the previous week, from trading, from backtesting, from watching paper traders or whatever. And I had this mammoth list, and it kept getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, Dan can't stop talking. I love the guy. Love him. But you know he can't stop talking. So you get on, you start asking questions, then he starts talking about whatever he wants to talk about. You can never get your questions in. So right. the list just started getting longer and longer. Um, and, you know, it, at the end of the process, I was frustrated because the, at, the, at the end of the last session, I had the most questions I ever had. I ran out of sessions. So, but Dan was very generous, so he kept having sessions with me anyway. So um, I then from there started to feel like, so my point was, of the other kind of mentees that there are, one of the amazing things was about half of all people who signed up for Sheridan Mentoring never actually went through with the mentoring. I know that's unbelievable to say because they spend a lot of money, but when you when you uh, when I would um, approach them to once I became a mentor, when I would approach them to give me some dates that would work for them for our first meeting, fifty percent of the people would never respond. Wow. It was unbelievable. So if you want to talk about trading success, a good portion of it is simply being interested. Being interested and having a feeling you like, like you love it and a, a feeling that it's something you really enjoy and you have a natural intellectual curiosity about that. That's, I'm telling you, is like half the battle, just that. And so uh, anyway, so back to my process. So I started trading. Uh, and I fell in love with the iron condor. I became fascinated. This just this concept that you could just put this gigantic football field around the market, um, and then as long as you know nobody got a touchdown, you know, and you just uh, you, as long as the 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 market stayed between the two short strikes, you would win, and there was an eighty six percent chance of that happening. So. I thought to myself, all I've got to do is master the iron condor, and it's over. I win, right? And <laughs> I, okay. And so it was an absolutely childish, preposterous concept, but I didn't know it at the time. And um, so finally, it was the um, dance, you know, uh, set me loose to trade on my own. I guess in September 2006. And if you look at a chart of 2006 right through to February, um, late February 2007, is the perfect chart to trade iron condors. It was a slow, up, grinding move with re reduced volatility, and the market would just chill out enough towards the end that uh, the market uh, would be. Yep. So uh, if you look at a chart, it goes right to 2007, and, uh, you know, February 2007, and it was the easiest chart in the world to trade iron condors. And, of course, I didn't know that. I just knew. I kept winning every month. And so um, I made, and can I please ask everyone to, if you take notes in these sessions, please take this one note, even if you fall asleep or anything else I'm going to tell you, please take this one note, and that is this. I went from trading, I'm not going to tell you the dollar amounts involved because it's, a nightmare, but uh, I went from trading a certain size account up until February. I guess the would have been the March 2007 iron condor expiration. I I went from one level to let me do the math on this. Two thousand percent increase in capital. Okay. There you go. You had it. You had it figured out. I had it figured out, so I can now. I don't know, you know, he's quintuples five times. I don't know what it is for 20 times. Whatever that word would be, I did 20 times. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I, am, I, I, I believe it was, okay, now I can start earning a living doing this. So how much capital do I need? Well, did the math. Well, if I had this return these months. Then you use this return. Uh, you know, at this return, you, you, you know, you get this much. So right. at this capital level, you get this much. So I, as though the options gods were watching me, they were waiting for me to do this. And then if you look at, I think, February 27, 2007, there was this out of nowhere crash. 
crash-like thing. I don't know what triggered it. I don't remember. I don't think it matters. Something triggered it. There was this crashy kind of thing happened. I think the market was down like five. Dow was down 500 points at one point, which back in 2007 was a monstrous move. Okay, and um, I didn't know anything about not trading between 9:30 and 10:30. I didn't know nothing, and so I freaked out. I my put side was getting hammered beyond belief. I freaked out. I closed the trade. If I hadn't done anything, the market would have recovered. Like one hour later, I would have been fine. And um, so I do not want to tell you the amount of money I lost that day. So, uh, but believe me, you don't want to go through that. I think so, you told me it was quite a bit. <laughs> yes, it was quite a bit. And so, um, you know, that's, I, call, I had to tell, turn a large fortune into a small fortune. So, um, now, you know, it wasn't that bad for me personally, but it was pretty bad. And so, uh, that was a wake-up call. Believe me, that was a wake-up. It was like somebody brought a brass band into my room. <laughs> That's a, that was my alarm. And uh, so I, at that point, realized I did not know what the hell I was doing, A, that it was unbelievably, preposterously ridiculous that I increased my capital level to that extent. And, uh, you know, I had to find a better way. And so... I began, I still, believe it or not, did not lose my fascination with iron condors. I started to develop various and sundry iron condor uh, techniques. And they all work to some extent. The one that I, we were being taught doesn't really work that well. The ones that I was developing actually were pretty good, but there was a problem with those, which is they didn't really match my risk profile as a, as a trader. Um, I don't know if risk profile is the right word, but my particular approach to risk, it was not meeting that at all. I mean, when you'd back test them, it looked great. Wow, this is cool. Hey, look at all the return I'm getting. But what I wasn't doing during the back test was asking myself the fundamental question, what is the outcome? <laughs> Can Sorry? you actually trade this thing? <laughs> Can you actually trade? Exactly. Can I actually trade? That's a great way to put it, John. Can I actually trade this way? And, you, you know, this is the part that people who just get started have no idea what we're talking about here, but I'm guessing most of the people in this uh, webinar do understand what I mean. There's a difference between a really well-designed strategy that gives you a great return and a strategy that you're going to be willing to trade. Uh, another, another uh, there's a guy named Ed Secota, you know, famous trader. And he said the easiest thing in the world is to develop an option strategy that works, or a trading strategy that works, and the most difficult thing in the world is to follow that strategy. And I always thought that was a really, really great quote. I think it's fantastic. And so I think the solution is, rather than try to make yourself do the hardest thing in the world, which is to, to learn, teach a strategy, or sorry, trade a strategy with an amount of capital that you're clearly not comfortable with, even though it works out in backtesting, it's better to find a strategy that you can actually trade and a strategy that would work. And so we'll, we'll come back to that in this little history. We'll come back to that a little bit later. So, um, John, you tell me if I'm going on too long or whatever because That's I'm just okay. talking. We can, we can okay. pick it up. Okay. Do you want me to speed up a little bit? Just a little bit. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. good. That's good. I think it's very interesting, though. It's very interesting. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, I'm trying to uh, – to me, part of this yeah. process should be to share, you know, share. Yeah, you've got, you got some awesome principles. insights there. Awesome yeah. insights there. Yeah. Right, exactly. Okay. So I then was a mentoring. So, so let's move on to my being a, uh, you know, what happened was I, I started to become very active in Sheridan. And um, I got pretty close with Dan. Tony and I, you know, like he came over to Tony's house one day. I was there. We hung out in the morning. Then he did a seminar in Philly that afternoon. And, so we were pretty close. And uh, so when it came time, he had an opening for mentors, and I said I'd be willing to uh, be one of your mentors. So we worked out a deal, uh, and I was mentoring whatever, 10 students a, month, a week. So um, that was going on for a while, and then I realized that I was bored out of my mind, honestly. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd been a CEO of a company, so I 
I wanted to, you know, to do more. I felt like I could contribute more. And so um, John, at one point during this whole uh, endeavor uh, of mine in my journey, John and I, John and I met in one of the trading groups uh, under Sheridan, and um, we just got the friendly. Trading group, 16. trading group 16, the famous great trading. This is like memory walking down memory lane. So right. in trading group 16, John was the head of that. Dan assigned me basically to keep an eye on John because he didn't know what he was up to. He, <laughs> no, he, he wanted one of the mentors to be involved in every trading group. Um, so uh, he, he made me whatever co-captain. And so um, John was running the group, and he called me up one day. We just got to know each other. And then we, were, we would chat on Skype a lot, as we do to this day. And uh, so John said to me one day, you know, Seth, I really think you might benefit from a – uh, a, a life coaching process because you're at a crossroads here. You want to do more and, you know, um, and so forth. So let's, and he said, yeah, I said, let me give it a try. And so we started to go through this formal process, which was really, really great. And I don't know any of you who have not gone through the life coaching part of what John does. I guess most of you or all of you have been involved in the trading coaching aspect in one way or another. But the life coaching process is mind-blowing. And, and the thing is, it's not, it's not that it, it's so special. If somebody says, what's so special about it? I'm not sure I could answer that question. But I will tell you how I felt, which was, you know, John and I would meet, I forget, it was every Thursday night, something like that. We would get together as part of the process. We would have a call. He'd give me homework from the last assignment. You know, a lot of them were about, you know, envisioning what I wanted in the future. And, Lots and, of crazy stuff, which you probably had no, no desire to do whatsoever. <laughs> no, I did. No, I liked I, – I thought the exercises were interesting. I, I enjoyed them. Uh, and uh, they were work. I do some work, but, you know, nothing's good without work. Nothing – you know, and uh, there were lots of exercises. I mean, I, I get on – you know, one day he showed me a picture of people, you know, I think bouncing a basketball or something, and – I, I, should I give it away or not, John? Yeah, yeah you can go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> and it turns out in the, you're watching people, something to do with the basketball, and then a gorilla walks through. In the, it isn't a real gorilla. It's a guy who dressed up in a gorilla outfit. Walks through in the middle of all these people uh, passing basketballs to each other or something, and you're focusing on one thing, and you don't see that a gorilla just walked through. Now, anyone normal watching it would have seen the gorilla, but because we were, you were so focused on them passing the basketball to each other or whatever they were doing, that you actually did not see the gorilla consciously. Subconsciously you did, and you proved that to me somehow, but consciously right. I did not see, uh, I did because you can, your conscious mind can only focus on one thing at a time. Your subconscious mind is picking up everything. So anyway, he was teaching me about how the mind works, the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, which is very, very important. You don't realize how important it is. He talked to me about self-talk. And I had this horrible negative self-talk going on with myself where every time I would make a trading mistake, I'd, yeah, I'd start berating myself like, uh, you idiot, you know, what, what kind of a trader are you? You call yourself a trader. How can you even mentor people? You should just quit and, you know, become a garbage man or something. And I, uh, you know, I had a terrible self-talk issue, which is horrendous in terms of your ability to trade successfully if you self-talk negatively. And he taught me, you know, awful lot of things. And I remember I would, I would get off, you know, some days I, I didn't even want to get on the call. I was so bummed out about my trading or upset about something or other. And um, I remember telling my wife during that period, I don't know what this guy does, but every single time I get off the phone with him, no matter how bad I feel when I get on, I feel great by the end. And, and it's nothing magical. It's just what John does is he – he asks you the right questions, and he forces you to answer them. Not forces you, but by pushing you to answer those questions, you go through this process of self-discovery. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. And the essence of the process is if you have – you've got to figure out what you want, be clear about what you want, be clear about what the steps are to get you there, and then be clear about a process to get you there. And, I mean, I don't know if that's a really good summary or not, John, 
but it's it's what I remember going. Yeah, and so um, so at the end, I, you know, I had to set out a vision for myself. So he said, what you know, what would you forget about everything you've done, everything you're doing? What would you like to do? What would be a fun day for you in your career? I said, well, I would like to have a group of traders that I'm. I say I was picturing this being physically in an office somewhere. Um, I didn't picture anything being virtual, but the concept was to be in an office, to be in an office which, with a bunch of other traders who love trading, and uh, you know we'd have put together a fund of with outside investors and just have a great time trading people's capital, sharing ideas and and so forth. That was my idea. That was a, a big part of what I envisioned as the career aspect of my life, and so so. Uh, then, then John talked talk to me about the, the the law of attraction and how by wanting something to happen, it can essentially bring it to you. And one day, uh, I got interested in day trading, and uh, I took this course. It was okay, but I I wanted to learn more. And so we found out about Tony, my my trading partner here in Philly, said to me, you know, there's places that actually give you capital to trade. I said, never, I never heard, well, who would give you capital to trade? He said, they're called proprietary trading firms, and one of the, the famous ones is SMB Capital up in New York. Let's just look them up. And we went on the Internet, we looked them up, and, um, and we saw Mike Belfiore and Steve Spencer and, uh, on there. And so I called up their sales guy, and I said, uh, you know, how can I take your day trading course? It was a five-week course uh, in their offices in New York. And so... Uh, in the process of signing up for this course, I told them I was trading options right now. I taught options. And so um, they started kind of sending me little messages like, hey, you know, when you get up here, let's talk about that because we want to open up an options department. So yeah, Part of the thing is I think, you know, when, you, when we were talking back and forth, one of the things we, you know, when we, as we're searching for what we really want to do in life, sometimes we take little offshoots to see where, where they go, and one of the things Seth was kind of interested in was day trading. So, you know, exactly, and, and that kind of just sent us off on a path that actually connected back in, right? Exactly, and it, right, and so I, you know, I went up there. I actually rented a hotel room for five straight weeks. It was grueling because I wanted to get everything out. Whenever, whenever I do something, I really, really dig in to try to get something out of it. It's just my nature, and so I was taking notes, and again. It's unbelievable when you're a certain way. It's hard to understand how people aren't that way, you know. And the other guys in the course, some of them were just like me, and some of those guys are still there today and tremendously successful day traders. Um, and then, yes, there were guys you could see just weren't doing the work, and they were gone, you know, very quickly. And so um, what happened was uh, I went to, um, you know, the course, and I – while I was up there, they said, hey, let's have a meeting, and they said, uh, you know, you're, you're teaching options. We want to trade options. We, wanted, we want to have an options you know, training business. And I said, well, I think I'm qualified for that. I already do that. Uh, but I'm not really interested unless I can open up a trading desk because that's really my dream. And they said, oh, well, that goes hand in hand with education around here. That's what makes us so unique because we not only – train people in trading who trade their own capital, but we also give, you know, successful capital, uh, successful traders, uh, you know, capital to trade as well. So I said, well, as long as both can happen, I'm happy. So I go, I call, I went back to my hotel room that night. I called up John and I said, remember that dream we talked about, that vision for me? I think it's happening and I can't believe it. You know, I can't believe it's actually happening, but I think it's happening. So you were, um, you were a little freaked out. I was a little freaked out, but you know, it's that's a good point because you kind of, it's like one thing in theory; it's another thing to actually have it start to unfold. And so John was in the background the whole time. I've told SMB this, so it's no surprise to anybody. But uh, John was in the background the whole time, and I was uh, um, negotiating my deal with SMB to trade options at, to you know to be the head trader on their trading desk as well as to be, uh, to, to run the, well, all we knew was the options education business at that point. Uh, that's all we called it. We didn't really know exactly what form it was going to take other than this, 
foundation program we call Options Foundation. That you know, I had to, I had to do that. So, um, so we started to. So we ended up making it. I actually the program was over. I left there, but we were still negotiating my agreement, and uh, I finally uh, got to uh, do the deal. Um, and we had an agreement that we would we would start the options education business, and within a year we would start the trading desk as well. So um, I said, John, I guess mission accomplished, right? We because the exact vision I had a group of traders. It's not they're not going to be sitting in an office with me, but we're going to be connected via the internet. Um, you know, it's happening. And so John helped me negotiate behind the scenes, by the way, and he's a very good negotiator. So it was very, very helpful to me. And uh, and then we got, you know, we got the deal done. So um, at that point, I said, well, how the heck are we going to market this thing? And so I came up with this idea of the options tribe, having had no idea whether this was going to work or not. Literally, it was just this concept. Hey, let's just have a webinar and see what happens. So, you know, so we... John was my, I think you were the very, very first presenter on the Options Tribe back in May. Yeah, you were, John. You were at least with me I, on that one. I, I think I was I the first one. I was with you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think you were the very first presenter. And uh, and I remember you, you, you know, I, I've spoken to pretty large crowds and so forth, in my, but something about doing a webinar terrified me. And John called me afterwards and he goes, were you nervous? You know, because I think you were a little surprised. And I said, honestly, I was. Because you know, it's one thing to speak in front of a group of people. It's another thing to speak to like 400 people, none of whom you're seeing. It's a little unnerving, you know, at first. So anyway, uh, so we then I started to put this options foundation program together. And John, um, John said, uh, you know, so it, it was just work I did not want to do for some reason. The it was something I found tedious initially. Initially, I got into it, but. I found it tedious, and so I remember these calls with John because I was still having my coaching meetings, and I said, John, I'm procrastinating. I'm doing everything in the day but getting back to writing this curriculum up. So he had to literally give me deadlines in the coaching process, and he said, now, I, I said, John, how am I going to get this done? I keep procrastinating. He said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to call up SMB, and you're going to tell them by March 1st, you will be, you have to set a date that you will be up there to start filming the video series of the Options Foundation. I said, what do you mean? I, I don't know if I'm going to be done by then. He goes, if you don't take that step, you're never going to do this. And so that's the kind of practical advice John gives people. So I said, oh, man. And I literally was nervous dialing the phone. I hung up a couple times. I finally called up and I said, all right, set the cameras up for whatever the date was, March 17th. Um, and I'll be up there to tape it, block out the whole week. I got off the phone, and I went, oh, my God, what the hell did I just do? That means, that, and I only had, like, one quarter of the of the curriculum done at that point. So I'm thinking, what the hell did I just do? And then, I, you know, I, I was, it was just one of those things. You set a deadline, you got to meet it, right? So I, I just got it done somehow. And I remember John saying, and I, during it, it was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And he said, Seth? Uh, you made a commitment to me and to them. You'd get it done by March the 17th, correct? I said, yes. He goes, well, I expect people to come through on their commitments. I'll never forget that when you said that to me. And, uh, you know, it was like talking to my dad. And so, um, anyway, we got it done. We filmed it. And uh, and then, you know, we started building the Options Tribe, and we started to do these the, the, the individual advanced series. And who else but John Locke did the Bearish Butterfly. Then we did the Rock. Then we did, uh, no, yeah, Bear's Butterfly, The Rock, the M3, uh, and then ultimately the M21 and Super Simple Spreads. Uh, we did a lot of other stuff, too. We had the group mentoring and so forth. So John was obviously an integral part. So, I mean, I'm a little bit of an unusual client in that you were very much a part of the business we had developed, which I, I'm guessing is not true in other cases. But uh, uh, it, it is sometimes. It depends. You know, a lot of people are confidential, so they don't like to talk about that. Yeah, I see. I see. So anyway, I understand. But uh, it certainly, uh, you know, you were heavily involved in my dream, you know, by actually being a part of it. So, um, uh, and we started to put the trading desk together. Uh, we built the options tribe. We got, you know, I don't know how many, a dozen video series now, maybe more. Um, we've got... Um, you know, we've got 10 traders on our trading desk right now. 
Uh, most of them are trading John strategies, I might add. Um, and it's a really great group of traders. About half of them I, I trained, um, but then they went for some advanced trading with John, basically like Andre uh, and Derek and so forth. Um, I trained them originally, but then they wanted to go farther, and they ended up taking John's courses, and that's when they really got good. Oh, yeah, well, I missed probably the most important part of the story, so I will get back to that, which is, uh, which is and then I guess you want to go in the heart-friendly butterfly. So um, the most important part of the story was I was not a consistent trader even when I met SMB. That year was not a good year for me, and I had not yet become consistent until – John taught me the M3, which he basically, you know, taught me, uh, you know, he hadn't really even developed the series at that point, but he just taught it to me, and we would trade it together and so forth, and, you know, I really learned the ins and outs of that strategy, and once I had, once I became competent in the M3, I became completely comfortable and confident as a trader, and I am, you know, until this day. Until doesn't, that, this, doesn't that back into all the other strategies as well? I mean... Oh yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, what the M3 does for me is it is a, it's my bread and butter trade, it's my key trade. Um, I trade it actually in different ways. Uh, I have multiple ones going on at the same time, actually, and one of them I traded the SPX with a reasonable size, and so, um, and I'm actually going to be talking about that on Wednesday in a special webinar, uh, the M21 Challenge webinar. So. Uh, but the reason I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning that is I believe if you don't, and, and it, for me, it's the M3. For other people, it's whatever. For some people, it's uh, the bearish butterfly. Uh, that's their core. Well, Ryan, for instance, Ryan Moffat, you know, his yeah. only or core strategy is the bearish butterfly. Now, to me, the bearish butterfly I love, but I'm not willing to trade it on, on a lot of capital because it's too risky of a strategy for me uh, with a lot of capital. So my way of handling that is I traded on a small amount of capital. But the M3, I haven't found a size level yet that bothers me. And that's, that's pretty unusual. So um, that is, it's, it's, that's my bread and butter trade. Every time I put on an M3, I am confident I'm going to win that trade. Do I win them all? Of course not. Do I feel going in that this is absolutely a trade I'm going to win? every single time. And once you start feeling that way about trading, in my opinion, you will succeed as a trader. It's my opinion. Yeah, yeah well, you have, you have to have faith that your system is, it works. So, uh, it's, mean, not the to... only, it's not the only component to successful trading. Right. But if you right. don't have that faith, by definition, you can't trade well, in my opinion, because you right. will make constantly be doing things to deal with the parts of the trade you aren't comfortable with, and everything you're going to do is going to be wrong. Yeah. Agreed? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I guess that this is an unusual meeting and that I went over 45 minutes and haven't pulled up option view yet, and I assume you want me to do that now, <laughs> or did you have any other questions? Sure. No, just, just some more comments, and just, you know, just so you know, Seth trades other trades as well, and he's developed this heart-friendly butterfly, and, and he's got some successful condor strategies as well. So um, it's just, I think a lot of the stuff from the, the way the M3 was designed, it's kind of designed to help you learn how to trade, and then you can back that into whatever strategy you happen to be doing. So um, right. just, just want to make sure that's, that's clear, that you've got a lot of stuff going on over there. So I do. I do. And um, so... Let, let me just tell you quickly about the heart-friendly butterfly. Um, Do you want me to make you a presenter, Seth? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, let me just get back. Yeah, go ahead, um, John. Uh, okay. You are let me a presenter know. as of right so now. You should get my screen. Yeah. Yeah. I used to use um, go to meetings, so I have a, enough knowledge to be dangerous. Okay. Uh, let me know when my, okay, my screen is being shared now. I can see that. Yes. Okay, great. So um, let me, uh, full disclosure, every month I basically trade the bearish butterfly, two different M3s started at different times, and an SPX M3. So the other two were rut M3s. The heart-friendly butterfly, which I developed, um, I have not been trading lately. Uh, basically because I am uh, 
you know, really enjoying the different versions of the M3 that I've developed. And I just, you know, haven't really gotten back into the heart-friendly butterfly. Uh, however, so, you know, I just want to provide that disclosure to everyone. Having said that, what happened was, just for the heck of it, I forgot what got it motivated, but I went back to look at the heart-friendly butterfly to see how would it have performed in the first six months of this year, which were very difficult months for lots of other strategies. And I, so I figured, just out of curiosity, how would it work? And I went back and I back-tested uh, the first six months of this year, and it was pretty good. It, it, it outperformed almost everything else that was going on. Um, and then I went back to June of la I think June of last year, and it, it, it did very well last year. Of course, last year was a pretty good year for all of our uh, strategies. So um, the so I got a little bit more intrigued, and uh, what's going on right now is that Andrew Fowley and I and a guy named David Wilt from um, IO, IOA, IOTA is some kind of a a name of their company. What they do is they have backtesting software. And basically they develop the software so you can backtest, you know, any complex strategy. And once they program it in, um, it takes 15 seconds to backtest 10 years. It's unbelievable. You know, and I know that uh, there's some other software that do kinds of similar things, but this is very impressive as to options. So um, they were going through a process now of trying to identify the weaknesses in the strategy. And um, they found some really interesting ones, which I'm not going to talk about because we're in the middle of it. But we're going to re-release the heart-friendly butterfly um, uh, shortly with an addendum for slight change. The base strategy works fine, but it's slight changes to the strategy that really um, improve it. And so we're in the middle of kind of nailing those down. It'll probably be four or five changes, and we'll do a special video for that. So um, what we're going to do is anybody who buys it between now and when we do the re-release with the, the supplemental material and the optimizing you know, strategy, way, tweaks to it, um, we're just going to give them the optimization for free so that uh, that way, um, you know, it's it's... It motivates people to learn the base strategy, so then you'll be ready for the, um, uh, you know, the optimis, optimized stuff. You follow what I'm saying, John? Yeah, yeah, I follow what you're saying. And, you know, it's, it's, it's almost kind of like a rock trade in a way. Um, yes. It's very, to me, it, it, uh, it, it's the, the closest analogy in your strategies is the rock to what this is. Right, right. So, and, except, and, and, except for this year, I mean, the rock hasn't done that well this year, but... Um, Except for this year, that strategy is over 100% almost every year. So, yeah, it's a tremendous strategy. So it shouldn't be too big of a surprise that it's been doing well. This has been doing well as also, also. Right. And you know, this is it's different. It's different, but it's got some similarities. So, right. um, I prepared an example. I looked at a month that uh, was the worst month on our trading desk. Okay, so I figured that would be a good one to compare with the. Um, you know, the heart, how the heart-friendly butterfly would have done. And that's actually the April 2016 heart-friendly butterfly. So let me go to that. And uh, I, I set it up so that, you know, if we didn't have much time, like we don't, uh, we can go through it pretty efficiently. So um, let me now, I guess I've got to find it. And I, I'm going to move this thing out of the way, this um, control panel or whatever it is. Um, and we're going to go over here. Okay, great. So uh, we're going to start the trade. This trade starts at 10.30 because my trading mentor, John Locke, says don't trade before 10.30, although initiating a trade is probably less troublesome. But anyway, so, um, but I always do what my mentor says. Now, all right. Okay, so anyway, here is the, uh, the beginning of the heart-friendly butterfly. And it's not going to be possible today to go through all the ins and outs of it, but I will say, you know, just the general, here's the theme of the trade. The theme of the trade is um, one of the strategies I've always liked is turning a single butterfly into a double butterfly. And if you do that by stepping on the initial strikes, this is, would be in an iron butterfly, then it actually becomes a condor, just 
as a result of the way options work. It becomes a condor. And so um, the, the typical double butterfly strategy works that you, you know, if you get to either expiration day break even in the, in the classic double butterfly strategy, then you buy this kind of overlapping butterfly that where the, um, the, the new shorts, the new shorts were, are where the old longs were. The, you, you eliminate the original um, uh, strike on the side that's being violated or being, what's the word for it, um, attacked. And then you have a new long strike further up from the money. You'll see what I mean in a minute. But the point is you condorize the butterfly, which is a concept very you know, similar to many of John's strategies. This condorization goes on. And so to make it easy, I, I designed the strategy to be uh, an iron butterfly that then turns into an iron condor because people are kind of familiar with iron condors. So I thought it would be easier to explain it, although you obviously can do this on all call side or all put side because a put condor or call condor or an iron condor are all the same trade. Now, so uh, what we then, uh, so we start at the money, nothing fancy. Um, and instead of waiting until you get to the expiration day break even, which as you could see, you could be really uh, in some big trouble on this trade if you waited until then, we phase into the butterfly as the market rallies. Therefore, you know, if the market were to rally, you phase into if the market sells off. Well, that's different. We're not phasing into it on the downside, but on the upside, we're phasing into it. And what it means is the butterfly, you, you're getting a head start on the price of the butterfly. Now, the cost of that is that the market whipsaws, uh, you've now bought a butterfly you, you never had to buy. Um, so that's the, you know, with every, under, with every strategy, there is a, something you're giving up. And in this case, you're giving up never having had to buy that butterfly in the first place. And as you know, typically speaking, when you adjust the strategy, it's, it's better off not to adjust pretty much any strategy. Um, but um, when you have to adjust it, it's more or less a negative in the trade. It's something you're going to have to make up uh, for later in the trade. So, so in this case, if you've adjusted upwards to some extent, and then the market whipsaws, then you, you know, that that becomes a weakness in not a weakness in this trade, but it becomes um, something unnecessary that happened if you look back at in retrospect. Now, it's not unnecessary in terms of uh, risk management. It's, quite necessary in terms of risk management, but ultimately you wish you hadn't done that adjustment. Let's put it that way. So you start more or less at the money. There's rules around how close you have to be in money and all that. Um, and then the let's move to, uh, and this is actually a pretty simple example, it turned out. Uh, what had happened was we had the sell-off as a result of the um, Chinese uh, stock market falling apart and the price of oil falling apart early in the year. So that caused this business. And then uh, what happened was basically the market decided none of that was actually a problem. Um, and so uh, it decided to get happy again. And uh, we had this tremendous rally, which started, I guess, in mid-February and just kept going and going and going. And uh, you know, it was a very, very powerful rally that occurred. And so this trade starts about 36 days out. The reason it does is that uh, it's an at-the-money theta trade and the rate of decay of at-the-money options is much faster in the last four or five weeks than it is before that. And so, you know, any at-the-money strategies, it's not a bad idea to start them, uh, you know, closer in time. And so what's, what we now do, what we're just going to move to March uh, 16th at 3.30. So let's move up there. March 16th at 3.30. And as you can see, the market had rallied because we were we got in this thing at uh, 2,000. We were up to 2028. 20, so according to the rules, there are certain rules about when you start to phase into this butterfly. We then added the uh, butterfly. Now I want to want to show you so you don't get mixed up about what happened there. It can be a little confusing. If you go like this, what we're doing is we're adding a half lot butterfly, the exact same wing width as the previous one, but we're intentionally stepping on the short strike, the long strike, and the short strike. And by doing that, this half butterfly, remember this is a 10-lot iron butterfly, 
by doing this half lot, uh, we're actually completely eliminating this strike. So it looks like this strike isn't there. It really is there because what you're doing is you're buying this butterfly. So this really is there, <laughs> but because you are, um, but because temporarily you're closing this strike, it looks like there's nothing there at all, and there technically isn't anything there. But it's part of the upside build of the butterfly. Okay, so that is what we're about to do, and then at four o'clock we actually do it. And uh, so you can see that middle strike disappeared. With this is half the number it was before, and this is now we're starting to build a new strike up here, twenty-one fifty. So you get this uh, kind of funny-looking structure, and and it it reminds me of the rock, really, right? Um, the rock, yeah. in a sense, starts this way, right? You know, um, with the rock, you kind of phase in that first butterfly as you start the trade. So um, wouldn't you say that would be a fair way of putting it, John? Yeah, well, sometimes it starts as an M3 type of trade or yes. a trade butterfly. But, uh, yeah, it right. starts. But when you, same, when you – Same type of fig configuration here, yes. Yeah, when you start it as a – in other words, a partial lot upper butterfly with a kind of full lot bottom butterfly. That's exactly. what I think is the similarity to the rock. Okay. And so then one, one half size like this is. So it would be technically it's exactly the same except you're a little wider. Yeah, a little wider, different index, and I don't know mm -hmm. where is, you know, it, 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 there's not necessarily a Greeks-based. There's actually right. no Greeks elements in this trade at all. Which, um, which, is a good, which is a good thing if you're going to be using something other than option view. Because um, <laughs> you can really manage it with anything, right? Yes, that's right. But, but yeah. that's a good point. Yes, this is. Yeah. There's no. I'm trying to think. There is absolutely no reference to the Greeks in this whole course. This is a. Am, am I right about that? I believe I you don't are. Know. I. What's that? I, I don't recall anything in the Greeks in the class, yeah. and I like it because it's a it's a price point system, and I'm thinking of coming out with a price point system myself. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's purely price point based, um, and uh, so so you know what it does is it takes all the subject. There's literally no subjectivity in the strategy at all, and um, and it's just it's based upon the pure theory of options income trading. You know the the uh, that if you give a, enough time, if the market market will tend to stay within a certain range. And given enough time, the time decay is going to evaporate, and you're going to make money on strategies many months. And so this is essentially purely based on that theory. And so now we're going to move to March 18th. So we'll, we went to March 17th. We didn't do anything there. In March 18th, uh-oh, I'm going to give you, I meant to surprise you. So at 3.30, we were still in this structure, and then the market hit our second adjustment point. And so there's, you know, in the course there's a definition of when you've hit the second adjustment point. So we're going to go in and we're going to buy, and now you'll see that second strike does exist. It's just that uh, it, it had kind of gone into hiding for a little bit. So now we're going to do this. We're going to just do the second half of the butterfly. And when we do that, at, at, we actually did it in this case closer to four that day, we now went into, you know, full condor structure. So the market's rallying. And it's a little hairy situation because the market's rallying like crazy. But on the other hand, um, every you know when you do this uh, adjustment, a lot of times you end up actually even more negative deltas than you were before. But the, the that that usually happens when the market's you know uh, been on a real run, and then when it's on that real run, uh, deltas are getting more and more negative, as you know, John. And so. Uh, volatility is coming out, deltas are getting more negative, but you also may be reaching the end of the run. This has been a pretty long run here. The SPX was down at 1812 uh, or something, and now it's up at 2050, and it's done it in like a month. Uh, that's a pretty nice run. And so you, one of the other theories of the strategy is, you know, every, every as Dan Sheridan used to say, the elephant eventually gets tired. And so, um, so you know, there are so yeah, that's true. We're still waiting for this elephant to get tired, uh, and so um, so then from here, uh, and this is a. I, I'm just giving everybody basically a very simple example today. I know we're pretty much out of time here, so I'm happy I did prepare a simple example. But um, 
So now all we're doing is really now we, we have, uh, we're just waiting for the market to either get to the short strike of this side or this side. So it's very simple. And we're just not going to do anything. We're going to rely on the market's tendency to revert to the mean. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And time passing. Time always passes. And so, you know, that's always going to be working for us. Um, and here we got a sell-off. And, uh, you know, we're right pretty much in the sweet spot of the trade. And, um, and so what we've done by doing this is we've widened the trade out. We've gotten now, you know, much more width than we had initially in the trade in its condorized position. And uh, then, you know, we have some rules around um, e exit. And basically, the principle in this trade is you're never going to trade there. Very few people are going to trade then. Gamma gets very, very high in expiration week. So what we do is we pick a, a week before expiration. We measure what the peak profitability would be a week before expiration. And then, we did, and then our profit target is a floating profit target in strategy, and it's basically half of the profit seven days, at, at, at the best it could be seven days before expiration. So in this case, go to option view here, and you go to T plus 15, I think. T plus 15 would get you to April 8th, and that is this date, the, blue, the light blue, or the, you know, yeah, the light blue. And um, I'd look here and I'd say, all right, P&L on that day, is um, 16,000. So my target profit at this point in the trade, the best it could be seven days before expiration is 16,000. So my target profit is 8,000 for this trade. Now that can change if the structure changes. But the, one of the concepts mm -hmm. behind this trade is you, you do not have a fixed target profit. You have a target profit based upon the structure you're in. Because a lot of people get into a strategy where, uh-oh, I, I have to expire this trade to hit my target profit um, because they've adjusted it so much, there's not, not that much left in the trade. Well, that's, you know, you start thinking that way, and you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble because um, you're going to be into such a high gamma period that, you know, you're almost just gambling at that point. So right. um, yeah, can, I don't have like other exit criteria, for sure. If yeah. you have other exit criteria, if you've, if you've adjusted the strategy enough, it's just unrealistic to get uh, X. And so you have to lower your sights for the purposes of risk management. So you can get in and out of the trade uh, and still make some money. So what we do here, so in this particular case, the market, the elephant actually began to get a bit tired. Uh, and that's really, really good uh, for this trade because you're in a, you're in a condor. Uh, and as you said on your uh, session this morning, John, it's a good market for being in a condor. It's not such a good market for being in some other things. Well, when the market kind of does this and it starts to, see it's starting to slow down here, it's really good if you're right in the middle of your tent because you're, you're in maximum theta land um, at just the right time. And so um, we, this is March 28th, and so I guess we'll skip ahead a couple days because we're now over your deadline here. And um, so um, we get to here, and you can see the market started rallying again. So now I would remeasure um, seven days before expiration, which is roughly this line. It's, actually day after that, but if I look at this line, now my new, actually my target profit is still eight, but if we don't start making some progress, that's going to end up getting lowered because the more you uh, get close to expiration, you're not your target, the more you're going to, um, you know, have to kind of lower your sights a little bit. So here we are March 31st, and uh, we're starting to make some progress on the trade, um, and let's go, uh, okay, it's actually over at this point. So Basically, what happened was on Friday, April 1st, when we are, what, 14 days out from expiration, we've got um, 3400 bucks. But now, one week later, which is seven days to expiration, now the best you can do on that date is um, 8100 $8, bucks. So that has changed. And as a result, um, our target is going to be about $4,000 on this trade. And so we get into Monday morning, and, you know, all you need in this kind of thing is a weekend, a little bit of, you know, no movement over the weekend, it very mild open here on that day. And so I think by, uh, I guess by the end of that day, we were able to expire the trade at our target profit. So all we did now, imagine if you ended up buying that butterfly as the market had rallied and you waited 
then you would have paid a lot more for that butterfly that we used to adjust this into an iron condor. Um, and so this was an example of where the market uh, behaved um, and was very consistent with the way this strategy works because we ended up rallying and kind of staying up. You can see the market you know, never really came back down much. It stayed up and we got ourselves into the uh, you know, iron condor uh, you know, in, in a position where we were far enough away from the money that we, um, you know, we're going to do fine. So at this day, we actually closed the trade for a gain of $4,700. And in this structure, the, uh, let me see, it was 75 points wide, 75 points wide initially. So in this structure, the planned capital is 112,000. And so this would have been what, like a 3% gain, something like that for this particular. Right. What, what's your maximum loss on this? Uh, Ten uh, percent of the planned capital, and the planned capital differs depending on uh, yeah, how, what the price of volatility. There's a couple of things that affect planned capital, and um, so you know, so it's a ten percent target, ten um, percent max loss. You you don't really hit either all that often. You don't hit target profit or max loss all that often. Um, but you know, the worst you can get is ten percent. Sometimes you'll hit target profit. Sometimes you actually get. Sometimes you'll. I, I take that back. There's a moving target profit, so there's no number. So sometimes you can get past 10%. It doesn't happen that often, but it'll happen maybe once a year kind of a thing um, right. that you'll get, and you, then you can have like a 14 or 15% month. Um, uh, you know, but a lot of times you'll have a three or four or five, something like that as a win. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, and so just a little slight bit of advertising. Um, the, um, uh, this is the heart-friendly butterfly. There's, I think you can get there by going to, I should know this, I should be shot because I do not know this, heartfriendlybutterfly.com, yeah, brings you right here, yes. So you can go to, except for some reason Google Chrome's not working too well, but believe me, it gets you there, heartfriendlybutterfly.com is where you can buy it. It's only $5.95 right now, um, so it's reasonably inexpensive, and as I said, we're going to give folks who own the program, uh, the. Um, we're going to give you this supplemental information that we're developing for free. Okay, this is awful because it's just not coming up. So let's do it in, let's do it in uh, by going to optionstribe.com and then we'll go down. This is another way to get there. You go to Heart Friendly Butterfly and there you go. And then it's only $5.95. So pretty inexpensive um, and it's very, very, very systematic. You literally know exactly what you have to do at every single point. Um, I designed it intentionally that way um, to be, you know, a strategy that w is purely based on this notion of um, we're going to we're going to allow the time decay of short options to do their thing, and in, you know, most months it's going to be fine, some months it won't be, but we're 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 leaving our fate up to the um, not the Greeks, but the nature of short options. Probably the best way to put it. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic, and and like I said, I I. I I've, I like that trade when you came out with it. It, it. it needed a few tweaks back then, but you know, we took care right. of it. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We tweaked it, and uh, uh, and we're about to tweak it a little bit more. Um, and it it has some. It certainly has some similarities to the um, to the rock. I think that's the best analogy to your stuff that the heart friendly butterfly is. Yeah. Yeah. So. That sounds good. Well, I guess okay. we're out of time, Seth, and uh, we have a couple of questions, but we have to we have to move on here. So, um, I'd like to thank you for coming on, sharing your story, and uh, hopefully it's an inspiration to everybody, and and uh, sharing the trade, the heart permanent butterfly. We thank really you, John. I appreciate it. Anybody who has any questions, you can go ahead and uh, email them to me. I think you probably know my email is sfreudberg at smbcap.com, and uh, you can go ahead and shoot those questions to me. I'm happy to answer. Sure, and if and if you'd like to, um, if you if you if you can't find his email, just let us know, and I can find it for you. So thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you, Seth, for coming on. One more thing, hi Seth. Oh, hey, Sherry, how you doing? Good. Uh, what I can do is I can capture these questions too, um, uh, if you want, and then we can um, we yeah. can answer them. So why don't I yeah, do that? I go to meeting has some kind and of we'll feature where you can pick up what's going on in the chat, right? Yeah, and then what we'll do is I will post them into um, in our community under your uh, your session. So how's that? Okay, that's that sounds great. Awesome. Great, thank Fantastic. you. All right, thanks, Sherry. Thanks, John. Take care, everybody. Great being with you. Thank you. Have a great week.
All right, bye-bye.